0: one important element in transformation is collaboration. And when I was at IBM, I ran a global collaboration team. We would go into big banks and airlines and we would look at what they're doing today and they may have a tool like Yammer or Slack or Chatter, one of those. And often they'd say to me, Andrew, it just doesn't work. We've been using it for a few months now. It just doesn't work. Um, It's broken. I'd say, no, it's not broken. It's the culture that's broken. Your value to an organization is not what you know, it's what you share. But the sharing part is very hard to do because culturally we're programmed not to share. We're programmed to keep things to ourselves.
1: Andrew Grill is a futurist who specializes in the impact of technology on business and on digital transformation. As well as looking at the culture of organizations, he focuses on the transformation of processes and business models. In today's show, I talk to Andrew about the importance of digital curiosity about technological adoption and what we can expect to see in the next year.
0: I think 2020 could be a turning point for some of these technologies because we've had three or four years of lead up and then more and more companies are investing. I think people will say we have to invest to grow. And I think some of these processes can be made more efficient by technology. This is Digital Download, a podcast that explores the latest thinking in digital communications, PR and social media. Here's your host, Paul Sutton.
1: So we're going to look at digital transformation today. I want to start off by taking a very broad look at what that is, because there are going to be people listening to this podcast who know the term digital transformation. Maybe they sort of understand it a little bit or think they do. But I mean, you've been working in this space now for quite some time. Can you kind of go through what digital transformation means to you and the people you work with?
0: Yeah, Paul. Thanks. Thanks for having me on the on the show as well. It's great to great to speak with you again. I think the whole term digital transformation is often overused, and I see a lot of fake transformation happening. I see people saying, "Yeah, we're doing digital transformation," but you walk into their office and you can't connect to the Wi-Fi or can't connect to the projector. And when you do get connected, it's four megabits a second, and you think you're not really transforming your business; you're just talking about it. I think for those listening that uh, have heard the term, it's probably best to take a helicopter view and as a practical futurist, I try and make things very accessible to people. Let's look at sort of four types of transformation. The first is process. I was with a client the other day and I said, you're probably annoyed that it's really hard to book travel or claim expenses and those sort of things. There are some really simple things that could be done to either digitize or increase the process flow so things happen faster and customers get delighted. So that's an easy thing to do and a lot of companies are doing that and saying that that is their digital transformation because they're fixing the, the booking system. Yeah. The second is business model transformation. I'll give you an example that Netflix went from a DVD mailer service to then distributing other people's content over the internet, and now they actually – uh, have their own business model where they pump $15 billion a year into developing their own content the episodes like yeah. The Crown. So yeah. there's another level of transformation where we we fix the basics. We're now seeing how, as a business, we can stay ahead because these disruptors out there are seeing our high profits. They've got technology and they know what the consumers want. So they're they're very hungry and say, so we'd like a piece of that. The third type of transformation is more broader, it's it's domain transformation. The best example is Amazon. When Jeff Bezos started selling books on amazon.com, he realized he had excess server capacity. So he thought, what about if I rent some of this excess capacity to customers? Okay. And Amazon Web Services has developed, it's now 60% of their revenue, so they've actually created almost a new domain out of a company that really wasn't known for you know web services. And the final one where people sometimes want to start there first and it's not always a good idea is cultural or organizational transformation. And this is where you need the right mindset. And this is where you talk about agile and you talk about you know running um, scrums and those sorts of things. And again, when I mention those concepts to most of my clients, they scratch their head because they haven't been exposed to it. In fact, one of my clients the other day said, oh, my brother's in a telco and they're running agile and they all laugh because they're not allowed to work on anything else. And that for me says that they're they're doing agile, but they're not being agile. Okay. Those four levels here, yeah, you've got process transformation, business model, uh, domain transformation, and cultural transformation. Those four, if all done together over a period of time, means you really are transforming your business. And and again, you've got to ask, why are we doing this? We're we doing it because someone said we have to, and our CEO read a book about it. Or do we feel the heat from our competitors? And as I say to all my clients, you need to disrupt yourselves, or you'll be disrupted. Yeah. Um, but you've got to ask yourself, why are we doing it? Do we even need to do it? And if we're going to do it, we need to do it properly. Hopefully, that's a good summation for those that need that helicopter view of what is digital transformation.
1: Yeah, I think so. It's, it's, it's a good description. I mean, when you talked there about disruption a couple of times. Mm. From your perspective on, I don't know, from, from either your personal perspective or from that of the people you work with, how much of this is about disrupting The market disrupting your business, and how much of it comes from a more defensive point of view where you are, I don't know, noticing things with competitors, for example, so you've got to respond? I mean, what's the sort of, I mean, how does that split when you work with people?
0: Well, let me give you an example. So, there's a directive from the EU that happened recently called the Payment Services Directive, or often called Open Banking. And this is where the governments in Europe and the UK basically have forced the major banks to open up their data through APIs. Now, if you ask yourself, would banks have said, well, that's a great opportunity. Let's actually open up our data because it's a really smart thing to do. They probably wouldn't have done it if they realized how much it's going to cost in terms of time and effort and and, and money. Yep. So then the, to your question, are we being defensive? Um, are we doing something because we think we can actually win a new market? Or are we doing something because we have to? And in that in that case, they were legally required to do it. So I see customers all the time, clients all the time saying, you know, Let's just fix the basic stuff, and we, we've we've got to spend some time doing that. We've got limited budget and limited funds, and we haven't got all the right people to do that. Let's just fix the basics, and then hope that the the disruptors don't catch up. I think it's more likely that a disruptor uh, and ex- from an existing and incumbent is led by someone who's probably been in that disruptive role before. He or she has said, you know what, we really need to change our business model. We need to go into a different domain. Otherwise, our lunch is going to be eaten. And I suppose the sort of person that that does that has got experience in working in a very challenging environment. I think the incumbents are are hampered because – this may sound unfair, but they're fat, dumb, and happy. Okay, do we have to change now? No, let's give it another year. Where yep, the ones yep. like the Amazons are saying, "Well, while we're racing ahead to be a book company and now an e-commerce company, let's start up a whole new division to capture a new market." I think that the mindset there is very different.
1: And how much does culture play in this? Because it strikes me that then there must be a huge element of company culture that goes into this, whether it's you know people accepting of transformation or not or I mean what role do You you mentioned culture as
0: one of the one of the main elements there itself as an individual thing but what overall role does it play it's critical okay if you don't have a culture that wants to change you'll never change I talk about three types of people in every room and every group you've got the prayers they're just praying this is going to go away. But, um,
1: <laughs> I know lots of them. <laughs> but,
0: but basically, we, we just want things to to, to stay the same and, and we may be going to retire or change industries. You've yeah. got the stayers. And whenever I talk about this, I put up a picture of Boris Johnson and or Theresa May. These are people that have just got to get the job done. They've got a project focus. They have to get it done. They don't really care about anything else. The third type of people, and this is where I invite my clients to become these types of people, the players. They lean forward. When someone mentions a new technology, they say, "Oh, what does that mean uh-huh. for, for us in business? Yep. The problem is, and I get asked this all the time, Andrew, can we change? And I say, well, here's the problem. Generally, my clients are the C-suite or senior executives of a company, and the reason I'm there in front of them is because they know they need to change and they're hungry. Their young leaders, the millennials, also, it's, it's a given that they want to change. The problem is the middle layer. Now, this is nothing wrong with the middle layer of an organization, but they probably have more prayers and stayers than players and i I then say to them i open my hands and say look i can't fix your middle layer um these are people that keep the lights on they are critical to the business but you need to change their mindsets you need to bring them on a journey Mm -hmm. and and you mentioned before about you know being personally involved i put up a slide in my talks which has got a bunch of jargon on it and deliberately some of the buzzwords are easy to understand some are harder and everyone seems to take a picture and they say you know, all these, all these words are going to disrupt your business. And so you then need to filter that energy and that urgency to change the business down into the middle layer. And I say, you've got to personally be involved. So if a new technology comes out, I'll give you an example. A couple of years ago when Bitcoin was at its peak, I went and bought 20 pounds worth of Bitcoin. I'm not going to get rich out of it. I wanted to personally understand what it felt like to hold cryptocurrency, what it felt like to see it go up and down in minutes. And then when I tried to turn it back into pounds, it took me two uh, banks and four weeks. But only because I personally understood what it was about, only because I personally could see what was going on, could I make a valid decision. So the challenge is, how do you get that middle layer to personally get involved in this transformation? And it's hard because right. the top table will say, we're going to do it. The, the the young leaders, as I said, will be hungry for it. But the, the prayers and stayers are the blockers. And that's really difficult. So it does require personal investment from that middle layer to move the company forward.
1: Okay. So taking that into account and saying you've, you've got to have individuals who are involved in this and want to be involved in it how much of that responsibility then do you think comes to a higher level sort of even up to board level for example how, how much responsibility does the board have for holding uh, management accountable to digital transformation
0: Well, the other challenge is that the board sometimes um, are quite similar. They're, let's let's be, you know, they've come from the similar industry. They've all been CEOs, they've all been lawyers, they've all been accountants. And there's not a lot of digital diversity. And I'm a huge advocate for gender diversity, not just on boards, but also um, executive teams and, and groups, because you get the diversity of thought. But back to that slide that I put up the board probably would glaze over and say, we don't know what any of these things mean. Yeah. So the challenge is, let's assume that the board think that they need to transform, but they're, they're a bit blind, they're a bit powerless because they don't know what they don't know. So I challenge boards to actually co-opt, maybe it's a coach, maybe it's someone who has digital diversity in their mindset that is experienced enough to handle you know, the board work that's required to, and I use this word deliberately, to infect the board to change. So I would I would see a KPI of a board member not only with their e- existing board responsibilities, but if a company is considering a cloud um, services platform, rather than blindly saying yeah let's drop five million on this and we'll get it because it'll make us run faster, mm-hmm. why not go and do a two week sort of course or a, an online course about what cloud computing means? What are the positives what are the negatives so that as a board member i'm fully informed or if you haven't got the time and energy to do that go and find someone like you someone like me and sit them down for a couple of sessions and say look andrew explain this to me what is cloud computing why is it important for our business and and how will we um, develop so i see the role maybe as people coaching boards to your point, then the board is at a point where they're at peak performance. They understand and they're hungry, and they will then infect the rest of the organisation to do that. But I think at the moment, a lot of boards don't have digital diversity, and so they're paying lip service, saying we're going to transform, and you want oh, I'm going to put this money aside to transform. Maybe we won't do that. But if they if they personally knew the power and they understood what the technology could do, not as a not as a geek, but understood what the business opportunity was, I think that may make transformation easier to then help infect the rest of the, the, the organization.
1: And do you do much work with sort of top level individuals in, in, in I don't know, moving them along to, to, to be in a position where they're doing that?
0: Yeah, I do. Um, often I get to work with the C-suite and then the board. And a couple of times I've had board members say, um, can we have a cup of coffee? Because I didn't put my hand up in the board and say, I had no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) Can can you just sit down and can you explain to me as a layperson what this means? And I love doing that. I started life years ago as a technical trainer back in Australia. So I had to learn how to break down really difficult technical concepts to something that anyone could understand. So I, I love doing that. And again, at that senior level, you want someone who's a peer. So Andrew, don't treat me like an idiot. Explain blockchain to me okay, right. Let's understand what it means, what it is, what it isn't. And I'm doing more and more of that than than not just the keynotes, but often it is, you know, I do the keynote and you've got the C-suite saying, hmm, I'm exposed here because I don't know what he's talking about. Sounds interesting. And I think more board members should put their hand up, maybe in private to say, coach me, coach me on this. So I'm a better board member and we can make better decisions.
1: Yeah. I, I was talking to someone the other day about this, this topic and He's, he serves on several boards around the world, um, and his view is very much exactly what you've described: is that you have some people on any any board, take any board in the world, and there will be people there who have the, not the faintest clue about well, digital, full stop. Yeah, and it hinders organisations from from sort of moving forward. In, from his perspective, going back to your sort of career, then you, you referenced there how you'd kind of started out in Australia originally. Mm. What's your career journey that's led you to focusing on digital transformation over the last sort of two, three, four years, long?
0: It's easy. I'm digitally curious. Right. I I want to unpack the way things work. So. In my talks, I I ask people to put their hands up if they were born after 1983, and a few hands go up. And I say, I've been online longer than you've been alive. (laughs) I was using dial-up bulletin boards in 93, leaving messages, we would now call them email and ringing back. I have an engineering degree, so I've been trained to be curious and think like an engineer. I did an electronic engineering degree. Uh, I've I've been online, as I said, since 93. I've had a website since 94, domain name since 99. I I play with this stuff. Recently, I read about a thing called the Y Wi-Fi pineapple which is a man in the middle attack it actually can fake being a wi-fi access point now i'm not a hacker okay i bought one why <laughs> i want to understand how vulnerable wi-fi networks were and now that i understand what you can do i'm you know almost giving public service announcements at my talks to say this is what you need to do to protect yourself yeah so because i'm really digitally curious i read a lot and of course my domain um focus as a practical futurist has to be knowing much more than my audiences know about new technology so while i would never say i'm an ai expert or an iot or a blockchain expert i know enough to know what it means for an organization and also what's the direction of travel so i'm not going to be looking 40 years out i'm going to be looking 40 days out yeah. Um, but in terms of career progression and, and the hungriness for this, um, because I'm a, a technologist uh, trained and also a practicing one, I'm really hungry to understand what it means. And I think I've carved out a niche where rather than being a complete geek, but some of my engineering friends, bless them, are still in that role. I worked out how to, and this was my training background as well. How do you, how do you translate that and how do you educate people on the opportunity for this technology and a culture change that, that comes with it?
1: Yeah. So it's very much, I mean, it's almost a communications role, isn't it? It's it's converting that technical knowledge into, uh, I wouldn't go layman's terms, but things that people can understand. And and when you say about your uh, curiosity, which is something I 100% agree with, I say this to so many people, you've just got to get involved in this. What's that taught you about things like, I don't know, topics that are relevant today, like uh, data security? And does it get you worried knowing, knowing the inside of things? And like you say, you might not be an expert on and pick a topic, but you know enough to know what's going on. Does it scare
0: you sometimes? It does and it doesn't. So I look at the bike lock analogy. There are two bikes outside a shop. One has a lock on it and one doesn't. Which one are you going to steal? You're going to steal the one without the lock. You could still steal the one with the lock and you'd put some bolt cutters through it. So knowing... That you have an extra layer of security. So, for example, I have two-factor authentication turned on everything. Yeah. And when I see celebrities' Twitter accounts get "quote hacked," it just meant they had very poor um, digital hygiene. Mm-hmm. I use a password manager. I have probably eight or nine hundred websites that all have a unique twenty-digit password, or maybe more, yep. maybe less, for each particular website. And I actually talk about this at my my lectures. Um, I use a VPN for everything. In fact, right now, talking to you, I'm on a VPN on top of the network I'm using at the moment. So. I have an extra layer of security. That does not mean I will never get hacked. It just means it's harder for that to happen. But back to being digitally curious, if I can do this, if I can spin up my own VPN server on a DigitalOcean cloud in five minutes, then other people can as well. I practice what I preach. You know, if I'm in a hotel, I say, "Show of hands, who's here connected to the hotel Wi-Fi? How many people have a VPN turned on?" No hands go up. I then explain how that exposes them. I also tell them about a website called Have I Been Pwned, run by an Australian called Troy Hunt. If yeah. you type in your yeah, address or your password, it shows if you've been compromised. Now that is the back to personally involved. This seems to be the pivot in my talk. When in the coffee break afterwards, people go, "I did that, and my password's been leaked." That's when they go, "Wow, I need to do something about this." So, part of my technique, I suppose, you know, in any keynote, you bits a bit of theatrics, it's a bit of you know, mm-hmm. content. How do I get them to that aha moment where they go, mm, "Andrew's right, I need to today. I actually need to go and do something different."
1: Mm-hmm. And you, you now run a podcast. You started that well, a few months ago. Now, six
0: months. we be going. Yeah, we're going.
1: Six months. Is it really? Wow. So how's that been going for you? I mean, um, you have some fascinating guests on, I have to say, covering some some sometimes quite deep topics. But how how have you found that in terms of kind of educating people with, with your your bigger message?
0: Well, you know what? It's been educating me because I it's interesting. Podcasts are a thing at the moment. We're recording this late 2019. So if you listen to this in a few years' time, you might go podcast, podcast It's yeah. a thing at the moment. And so it's very easy to get guests to come on a show that seems to have um, you know, a decent sort of um, following, which mine does, mm-hmm. thankfully. It's taken a while, as you know, to, to get to yeah. to where you are. But I, I learn more than I think my guests or my listeners will learn because it's such a smattering of different uh, topics. So I decided for this season, season one, to basically look at the future of dot, dot, dot. So we've looked at the future of blockchain, we looked at the future of digital legacy, what happens when you die, we've looked at the future of communication. Uh, and I suppose what it's allowed me to do, and, and a lot of people on the podcast, like like ourselves, we know each other, so there's an affinity when we talk. Yeah. But I've also had people approach me that I've never heard from to say, I'd love to come on your show. So it taught me a number of things. Basically, those listening, podcasts are not simple. It isn't push record and uh, and it all happens. There is a whole smattering of things that happen behind the scenes to make a good podcast, I believe. And I think what it's done, and, and I, here's a simple thing. At the end of my talks, I say, who, who here likes a podcast? Most hands go up. And I put up my podcast address, and everyone writes it down, mm-hmm. which means they're hungry for information in a format that's easy to digest. If I said I had a blog uh, at the moment, which I do, no one would go and read it because it's hard and you know, there's a barrier to it. So I think podcasts are really accessible. Yep. I think because it's so easy now, everyone has all these apps to actually access them, and Apple and Spotify have made it really easy. Authors like ourselves can get our content out there, but I'm not doing it for any gratification. I'm doing it to learn and also get access to the the guests that I'd like to hear from as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with that. Again, I mean, I've had, I don't know now, over 50 guests since I started uh, Mm. about two years ago. And, yeah, the amount of I have learned or even if I haven't learned something specific, it set my thinking off in a different way and I've Mm. gone and researched Mm. talked to other people and it is invaluable. It really is. You then, <laughs> catching up to date, you were then on TV not so long ago, weren't you? I happened to turn my TV on, and and but lo and behold, there's Andrew Grill.
0: Which, which one was that? I've been on a couple recently. Have you?
1: It was the comedians giving lectures. Oh,
0: yeah, that was so much fun. So the premise there was, this is Sarah Pascoe and a new show on Dave here yeah. in the UK. They would give comedians, well-known comedians, a TED Talk topic, and they had to come up with their own. And I was approached out of the blue. I have an agent, and the agent rang me and said, Andrew it's a crazy one. They want you to be on a show called <laughs> Comedians Lectures. I said okay. So on every episode, I think they're hopefully be competition for a series two. They get three so. birth to match the three um, comedians, and we basically critique their um, their performance. It was hilarious. Now, what was interesting what I told my friends afterwards was I had no idea what the committee was going to say. I had no idea what Sarah was going to ask me. It really is, you are on the spot. And it's almost like um, stand up. You have to respond and be a little bit funny on the spot. So that yeah. in itself was was fascinating. And it was a great night. It goes for about two hours, the recording. It was lots of fun. So I uh, hope to do a bit more of that in the future.
1: Yeah, lovely. <laughs> Something very different anyway, put it that way. Yeah. Going back to the digital transformation stuff then. So what changes have you seen over the last few years I mean you talked a bit there about how you've sort of come around to this and the way you think and your career how have you seen things change in say the last five years from a from I guess from a transformation perspective are people more open to transforming now are they not I mean is it is the process different what's your view
0: I still think it's a struggle because you've got these, as I said before, these three types, players, days, and players, and you've got to get them on board as well. Let's look at one element of that. And, and one important element in transformation is collaboration. And when I was at IBM, I ran a collaboration, a global collaboration team. We would go into big banks and airlines and we would look at what they're doing today. And they may have a tool like Yammer or Slack or Chatter, one of those. And often they would say to me, Andrew, it just doesn't work. We've been using it for a few months now. It just doesn't work. Um, It's broken. I'd say, no, it's not broken. It's the culture that's broken. There's a great book by a a gentleman called John Stepper called Working Out Loud. And those in the collaboration space, you may be aware of as well, um, know about this whole notion of working out loud. Let me give you an example. So at IBM, uh, we had 400,000 people and we had an internal collaboration platform, much like a Slack. So my team would literally work out loud. We would say, we're going off to a meeting with Pfizer or a meeting with BA, who knows anyone there? What's been your experience? And overnight, I would be inundated with responses from people from around the world that I'd never met with. So by me working out loud, me telling privately the rest of the organization, so it's only internal, what I was doing, people wanted to help. And I remember some of my colleagues, I was a partner there. So some of the partners that had been there a long time were very cynical initially, you know. I don't want to tell people what I'm doing, you know, it's confidential. Yep. Over the, the months, I would literally meet them in the halls in the, the South Bank office and they'd say, Andrew, you know, I started doing that. I put a call out on the internal platform for people who knew about this, that and the other. And I got all these great responses from people I didn't know about. And I said, well, mm-hmm. that's how it works. So I found myself, I was a bit of a catalyst that I, I, would, I and the team were deliberately working out loud to show what it was like. And it was very, very useful. And eventually people sort of caught on. They got infected with the bug and they realized that it actually works. So what I've seen is more and more people open to collaboration. I have a great quote that your, your value to an organization is not what you know, it's what you share. But the sharing part is very hard to do because culturally we're programmed not to share. We're programmed to keep things to ourselves. So what I have seen more recently is an openness to that. I think it's come from two areas. First of all, the young ladies, the millennials, they share everything and they come to work. And if they can't share, they will leave. The number of conversations I've had with people who said, oh, we have these conversations on WhatsApp, nothing wrong with that, but there's no audit trail. And it probably goes against every information security policy at your work. And the reason they're doing that is there is friction there is friction in the way they do work in their own organization. So they'll go around and find any tool that works. And I'm seeing less and less of that, but the whole notion of being a collaborative organization uh, is important. I think more companies are embracing agile and things like um, design thinking because they realize that they're competitors or they've come from another company that's done that and they're they're involving that as well. So I think slowly, slowly companies are changing. But, I, but also if you look at the last five years, Those millennials that were 25, they're now 30 and they're more experienced, and those that were 50 are now 55. So I think you've got a generational shift as well. And I think if we have this podcast in 10 years' time, we won't be talking about whether there's a need to transform. It won't be digital transformation. It'll just be business as usual. Um, I did a talk in Amsterdam this week, and we were talking about how one of my clients had a digital team. And in fact, their chief digital officer was there. And being the pragmatist I am, I said, look, if I'm here in five years' time, we won't be talking about a digital team. And he totally agreed with me. He said, my KPI is that my job becomes redundant in five years because we have mm-hmm. we are constantly transforming. I, I liken it to having a an email department or a telephone department. We don't have those anymore, even if we did. Um, you don't need someone to help you use email, just as you don't need someone to do digital. Digital is an integral part of everything that you do.
1: Yeah. And where do you think things are headed next year and over the next sort of 18 months then? Because, I mean, there's a lot of talk around at the moment about, I mean, things like AI, let's take that as an example, and voice technology and all these sort of communications things that are coming through. And I mean, I've I've been pushing these for probably two years now. And, and actually, in reality, not that much has changed in that time. The technology's changed, but the adoption of using the technology, I think, is pretty static from what I see anyway. Do you think that's going to change next year? I mean, are people going to start adopting more digital technologies that allow that transformation to happen?
0: I think some of it is happening without us knowing. So you say, you know, not a lot of people doing AI. If you call many customer service places now, Vodafone's a good example, you will hit a robot first because they've worked out that the most common queries can be dealt by um, automation. And if you needed a human being, they can pass them off. So we may not even think that right now, a lot of the processes that we took for granted that humans were doing are now being done by AI. I think there are more and more AI use cases that are positive. Um, Again, back at IBM, I would explain how IBM Watson was essentially a 12-year-old child in a box. And when you open the box, you had to teach that child um, about your business, about your processes. And so you need to have the data that you have in your company in a format that's AI ready. And I think more and more people are realizing that and they're doing more and more examples. Voice is a huge thing. My friend James Poulter, I, he was on my podcast episode three.
1: Yes, he's been on here too. He talked
0: about a thing called ambient listening. So in the future, we'll be in a meeting room and we'll give permission for Siri, Google, Alexa, someone to be listening to us. And we'll say, oh, we need to book this meeting room next Thursday for another hour. And then you get a message back saying it's been done as if someone's listening to your conversation. Or uh-huh. it would listen that I don't sound as happy as I normally do. And then after the meeting, it might say, Andrew, are you Okay. So I think we're going to see more and more of that. Again, I liken 20 years ago, if I told you, Paul, that you had to carry a piece of plastic around with you everywhere and you would conduct all of your business through that, you would have thought I was crazy. We are doing that now. So uh, these things take time, but it's when you can see the business benefit. I I liken this. In fact, I used this exact example on Tuesday on stage. I said, look, I was the very first of my friends to get a mobile phone. It was 1994. It was an analog mobile phone as a student. It cost me $1,000. And my friends thought I was strange. Why are you spending all this money? And then slowly they saw that I was getting more business opportunities. I was easy to contact. And so slowly my friends said, oh, I might get one of those. I don't know anyone in my circle of friends that doesn't have one, if not two mobile phones. It's because Uh they saw – The utility of that device helped them get their job done. And so back to AI and voice, it's a nice, shiny technology. But when you can actually see we are either saving money or able to task people onto high value things for them to do, that it will actually become mainstream. But it's still got a long way to go. If you look at the Gartner hype cycle for these technologies, we are probably at peak hype right now. And we'll go to the trough of disillusionment and then there'll be trials that don't quite work. But I think 2020 could be a turning point for some of these technologies because we've had three or four years of lead up and then more and more companies are investing. Look at Apple. Apple are now starting medical trials for people with Apple Watch based on heart rate. The challenge will be, do I trust anyone else with my health data? and maybe I just I do trust Apple, and if they do it right and then they can I can see a business benefit and a value exchange for my data, that maybe is a tipping point where people go, if we're smart with your data and, and don't use it for bad purposes, you might give us more data which will actually help these services propagate.
1: My impression as well is that I mean I agree with that totally, but my impression as well is that everything that's going on with the economy at the moment and not just the uk it's the same in in the states is well it, it could hinder this this adoption and transformation of things do you think that's a genuine concern or do you think i'm being um overly cautious with
0: that in in what way you say the economy in terms well, of investment
1: in terms of investment yeah exactly do you think uh people are going to tighten their belts and therefore not invest in either processes or technology itself to to push this Well I
0: think forward. when people see that they they can actually save money uh, you know in process transformation one of the, the four I talked about before if you've got a bunch of processes that are quite unwieldy and involve a lot of human time and a lot of human processing and that's costing you money and someone comes along and says, for X amount of dollars, we can actually make that more efficient. Give you an example Monzo Bank use Slack. They don't just use it to communicate, they use it as an onboarding tool. And so okay. they call them Monzonians. They can onboard someone 60 times faster than normal. So I'll give you an example. I sit down at my desk on day one. It says, hello, Andrew, you're a new Monzonian. We need to get you a credit card. We need to get you access to the back end system. We need to give you an email address. It does it all for them. Now, probably in the past, there might've been four or five people in IT that would take a service order, they would process that and and everything else. So people are going to say, why is Monzo successful? They can onboard someone 60 times faster. That means that individual is instantly um, more and more useful to the organization. They can actually hit the ground running. I think people will say, we have to invest to grow. Um, and And I think the economy, I mean, some of these processes can be Incredibly um, more made more efficient by technology, and I think people will see that. And it may be you don't have to go and buy it; you can rent it. There are so many software as a service, and Slack is a good example. I don't going to have to go and build a Slack; I just have to sign up to have a few seats of Slack to do this.
1: Yeah. Okay, then. So just to sort of finish off, then, for people listening to this, and hopefully you've now piqued their interest, and they're going to think about next year and think, well actually, I need to get on board with doing some of this stuff. What would your advice be to, to individuals listening to this to, to sort of develop a, a, um, that digital curiosity or to start transforming their own digital lives, for want of a better phrase?
0: Play with the tech. Maybe don't pick more than one or two, but look at two areas. Look at maybe IIT, AI, blockchain. What does it mean? So start go to Wikipedia and understand what the definition actually means. Then ask someone, ask you, ask me, ask a young person, what does this mean for me? And what does this mean for the business? So should we be on the blockchain is a question I get a lot. And I kind of go, well, what problem are you trying to solve? And for some things that that isn't an appropriate technology, it's just a, a bit of hype. But then, and I would encourage anyone at any level, learn more about this, whether it be do some courses online. If you've got a LinkedIn membership, you can get free access to some of these courses. Go to your boss and say, look, can I have some money to go on a course? And he or she, if they're smart, are going to say, absolutely, and maybe I should go on it as well to understand more about it. Because you want to be educated. You don't want to be just sloshing these terms around without knowing what they really mean. So I think personal renewal, personal education is key. And if we believe the some of the longer term futures that will all be replaced by AI, we need to think about reskilling now. So start that journey at 2020. Look at a few key technologies that you're hearing about and maybe are being thought about or introduced into your organization understand what they mean for you and understand what they mean for the business
1: lovely which all goes back to your curiosity message doesn't it be curious yeah you know um okay well thank you so much for coming on to this i, I really 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 appreciate your time where can people get hold of you if they want to talk to you further
0: uh Futurist London is my website everything's there and i'm on twitter at andrew grill
1: lovely all right thank you so much for your time andrew thanks paul You can subscribe to Digital Download on iTunes, Google Podcasts or wherever else you get your podcasts. And if you've got any ideas for future topics you'd like to see covered or people you'd like to hear from, contact me on Twitter where I'm at ThePaulSutton. Thank you for listening.